All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gold Jr. That is me. With me, as always, super producer extraordinaire, Brandon Newman. Brandon, how was your weekend? Doing great, Mike. I found out sitting is the new smoking, so I'm in trouble. You just found that out? We talked about this last week. I don't know things when other people do. I found out about Corn Kid last week. That is true. I feel like you're like the state of Hawaii that gets all of the pop culture on the five-hour time delay. <laughs> Uh, okay, I, I, I'll take that. Uh, but anyways, how was your weekend? Uh, it was good. I uh, I feel like I get reminded that sitting is the new smoking by every bit of wearable electronics that I have. Like if you've got wearable an Apple Watch, the most oh. condescending push notification that you can get. And now I bought that like aura ring because why not? And <laughs> it always sends me the notification that says, isn't it time we stretch our legs for a bit? I'm like, motherfucker, it's March Madness weekend. How dare you? And second off, if I just wanted to take a load off anyway, you're the same device yelling at me about recovery days. So pick a side. Mm. Which is it? Ooh. Yeah. Like I, don't, like I said, the Apple Watch turns your life into a video game a bit. Like, yeah. like <laughs> stages and rings and jumps and whatever. I, it's just, it's which, all... I hate that I like, but I also despise when it on the other side is super condescending. And it's like, you hit your standing goal today. Like, you met the bare minimum. And now you get to go forward feeling a little bit better about yourself. It's so sad. I need it. I need a reminder, Mike. I also went went heavy this weekend. Ate a bunch of stuff I shouldn't have. You know, I did the one of those things where like, okay, I'm definitely not going to eat this whole pint. And then, you know, halfway through the pint, you're like looking around like nobody's watching. Like, F it. You know, like who who am I? 
who, who am I answering to? My justification is always the sooner I eat this, the sooner it's out of my life. And then uh, I can get started being healthy. Then I can turn over a new leaf. Once this is all gone, I inevitably end up restocking the coffers. But in theory, it sounds good in my head that my go-to line is always, well, the rock has cheat days. So I'm allowed to have a cheat day, even though mine are basically every other day. And his is like once a month. Right. Right, 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 right. Okay, anyways. <laughs> we got a great show for you guys today. Uh, as always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo. Leave us a five-star rating and a review, and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel, also under the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab. We got more big money coming out in the NFL. We have got some weekend roses that we need to hand out, updates on our Some Shining Moments tournament bracket, which is full of upsets. And Brandon, that's probably good because that's in keeping theme with the tournament this year that we've had on the men's side so far for March Madness. It has been as upset-driven a tournament as we have seen so far, which kept going over the weekend. Princeton refuses to die. They beat SEC Missouri and get them up out the paint. Tennessee beats Duke, which isn't technically a seed upset, but just spiritually feels like an upset in college basketball. You had one seed Kansas go down to Arkansas. Michigan State beat Marquette. It just built off the momentum of the first weekend and continue to have as much parity as we've seen. We read all the stats last week about the volume of 15 seeds that have won in recent years, how many more double-digit seeds have won in the last you know decades, decade-plus of the tournament. It's insane, and Brandon, I do think it is extremely enjoyable at this point. Like I've talked about my misgivings with some of these Cinderella's making it a little bit too far. And I think we're still getting to that portion of things. And I think we've still got enough good basketball teams, but the also underlying question to all this is why now? Like, why are we getting so much of this and why is it happening so much more often now? Okay, Mike. And I know you're going to answer that question, but isn't this whole thing called March Madness? Like, like we we build this whole thing up to be so unpredictable and you never know the seeding doesn't matter. But it's it's usually chalk in a way that when weekends like this one happened, this is an anomaly. It definitely is, but I guess it's an anomaly that we've started to see a little bit more often. Now, it's funny because some of the things built into this are a little less of an anomaly that we've given credit for. Like we mentioned Michigan State, who won as a seven seed over number two Marquette, but it's Tom Izzo in Michigan State. And right. per ESPN stats and info, Tom Izzo has now won 16 games in the NCAA tournament as the lower-seeded team. He just passed Jim Beheim for the most since seeding began in 1975. So he does that. That's his comfort zone. Clearly. And as we're going to talk about all the factors that go into making the tournament like this, he's one of the last remaining figurehead coaches in the sport, right? One of the last remaining big names that we know at that position who is identified and synonymous with Michigan State basketball. So that one makes sense. It's that we get Kansas State showing up the way that we did. It's that we got Arkansas dropping number one ranked Kansas uh, to move on to the Sweet 16. Kansas is the second one seed in this year's tournament going down after Purdue did. Since the NCAA expanded the tournament in 1985, only three times have multiple number one seeds failed to reach the Sweet 16 before this year. And to the point that we're making, it is 2000, 2004, and 2018. It's all in the last two, two and a half decades. So... 
there's a difference in what we're getting now and it makes for exciting times but it also makes for I think some of what was difficult for college basketball during this regular season is we were never really sure who the good team was supposed to be and that's bearing fruit now like Alabama and Houston have looked apart they've gone out there Houston was blocking the shit out of every shot I think they had double digit blocks in their win this weekend Alabama's gotten wins even when in round one Brandon Miller didn't have any points they've showed the depth that's gotten them to be the number one overall seed in the tournament but you know Zach Eady and that Purdue team losing to the shortest team in the tournament in Fairly Dickinson Kansas hey. getting dropped by our Kansas leading to a whole host of jokes about how you actually pronounce that and why Kansas can be pronounced Kansas and everybody's just okay with it okay we're not going to get to that just yet Mike because I have a, a problem with Kansas State and the fact that they beat the Kentucky Wildcats my Kentucky uh, wait are you loosely. a Louisville guy or a Kentucky guy okay from Louisville my first scholarship offer was from Kentucky shout out to uh, Joker Phillips and uh, who was the actual head coach at that time real old dude Okay, Rich Brooks. Um, but anyway, so I've always had an affinity for Kentucky over Louisville, especially how annoying Louisville Cardinal fans are. So yes, I am. Every time the bracket comes around, I'm I'm rooting for Kentucky. And the way they lost to Kansas State, outside of uh, was it Keontae Johnson, which I'm a big fan of in his story ever since he collapsed in Florida and he's came, yeah. come back in this big way, but. It just doesn't feel right, Mike. It was a three seed beating a six seed, but it still felt like an upset. Well, because it's the brand name that we know, right? And I think that's the recalibration that's going on is we're probably going to continue to get more of this parity in college basketball. Because when you look... For all the reasons that we've talked about publicly, the different leagues like the G League Ignite, like the Overtime League, have taken some of the NBA talent that was already only on loan to college basketball for a year and gotten it out of college basketball. You've got the portal and all these things that create this constant shifting of talent in some of the other teams, which we've seen benefit some of the smaller schools that are involved in this in the tournament, benefited the places where you're less likely to have one and dones. We already said... There's a premium for some of these smaller teams that make the tournament through the automatic qualifiers, the mid-major teams, who have guys that are going to be there for three or four years, guys that are going to have a same coach for that time period and get used to their system and have the experience that benefits you when shit hits the fan this time around. And with some of these other teams, too, we're talking about turnover for the non-Tom Izzo coaches or for the Tom Izzo class of coaches, like we mentioned. You know, Jim Beheim uh, leaving at Syracuse, Hubert Davis taking yeah. over at North Carolina, John Shire taking over at Duke, new coaches, those little bit of changes in places where, yeah, you've always had Duke since you know they made that turn to go on one and done guys. You've always majored in young, or you've started to recently major in young players now, but it's not the same backdrop to the program. Even if John Shire is a Coach K guy, it's still not the same. And so when you make some of those tweaks, what I'd imagine – speaking to the North Carolina point as an example. Mm-hmm. Team that made the national championship last year was the one seed to start, didn't make the tournament this year with largely the same players. When you change some of those parts in a sport like college basketball where for so long 
The coaches were the story of these programs, and they were overcoaching the hell out of these players to give you these rigid identities for what each team was, which may have sucked some of the fun out of it for us, but did create enough consistency to know what to expect from who more often than not. So when you mix up all those factors into a bag, I think what you get is what we've got here now, which is some of the blue blood programs coming in seated at different spots coming in at lower spots even if kentucky talent wise feels like they should be and because of history feels like they should be higher that ultimately end up losing and finding their way out of this earlier yeah mike but i also feel like the the pressure is on these coaches that make so much money in college basketball obviously they i think they released the top 10 coaches uh, highest paid coaches going into the tournament and obviously john calipari is sitting at the top and now he's going to be sitting at home uh, yet again, unfortunately. But the likes of Tom Izzo, like the the solid, true, uh, it's not just the money that's being paid to him. I think he's, he makes like five point something, five point four, five point seven million dollars a year. It's the consistency and the continuity where it, the seating really doesn't matter. Hell, they talked about it on on the broadcast the last time Michigan State won the national championship, they were seated as a seven seed. Well, yeah, and I mean, to that point, too, the distribution of talent in some of these places, where, too, with that, a lot of those places, sometimes you could excuse it away because you'd have bad early season or midseason results as you're getting a team full of one-and-done guys to gel together. That's, you know, the problem that Cal's dealt with most years he's been there is they've been this one-and-done factory, and so they're constantly having to get a new group of guys to gel together on the fly but I think all of it is kind of evened out and spread out some of the talent that already probably has less of a gap between top and bottom than it used to because there's fewer high-end NBA guys in this version and this year's college basketball is I think what kind of leads to where we get this happening a little bit more often now and you see like noticing some of the SEC teams specifically just because we had so many in the tournament this year you can see a lot of them are just winning by being more physically imposing. Like Florida State used to do that for years yes. in the ACC, and Notre Dame would have a good jump shooting team that would just run in and get blitzed by bigger, yes. faster, stronger players. And for a bunch of these SEC teams that have managed to move on, you know, Tennessee was one, went out and was absolutely punching people in the mouth, punched Duke in the mouth all throughout that game where they're the higher seeded team, but Tennessee men's basketball doesn't come in with the same. T- same cachet as Tennessee women's basketball and Duke is coming into the tournament as one of the teams everyone says oh look they've got you know when they've got their starting five on the court look what they can do and some of these teams that are younger and less experienced just got flat out beat up by some bigger faster stronger teams I hate that the SEC is now a basketball conference as well as a football conference it happened quick, too. Arkansas, by the way, knocking off the number one seed in the tournament for the second straight year after having done it against Gonzaga last year. Um, you had Eric Musselman shirtless after the game. It was, uh, it just seems like it's going to be his thing now. I, I guess he's going to plant his flag as the shirtless guy. No, this was this was his biggest win, and it, it made sense. How old is he, like 57? Look good. Like, Muscleman is not, you know, well, almost like Dad Bodyman is his last, could be a good last name for him. That's the other thing. When you get to a certain age, I feel like if you're in shape to have your shirt off, you're just yeah. itching for a reason to do it. And Muscleman's <laughs> a dramatic guy anyway. You watch him on the bench. He's got all the histrionics. He's like kneeling down and putting his head in his hands when shit happens. He's all over right. the place. So he's the most like the Levitard show. He's the look at me, Louie guy for sure of this group. 
Yeah. Um, well, he, he stood up on a scores table and, and, and did a Dwayne Wade. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, to uh, to cap our point about Blue Bloods, uh, according to CBS Sports, this is going to be the first year since 1980 where there's been a men's sweet – or sorry, just the second year since 1980 where the men's sweet 16 will have no Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, or North Carolina in the tournament. So uh, this feels like it's probably going to end up being the new normal. What it does get us is a whole batch of very funny stories like – with Fairleigh Dickinson, who unfortunately ended up losing to FAU, you had the stories about how, one, they did not have a band that they were able to travel to their opening round win. And so the University of Dayton band stepped up, learned their fight song, went out and had their back, and then showed up to their game against FAU, bringing kids back off spring break. They all got swords. They were doing the chants. They were out there acting as the band for FD for uh, Fairleigh Dickinson, who also has a junior in college as their sports information director. Like, did you see that yes. during the game? Incredible. Yes. Like, I was like, I was like, I, I couldn't help but to scream in my head, nerd. But uh, oh, Jesus. Listen, this guy is what, he's dedicated. He's dedicated to this craft. I, I, I only say that because of his glasses. I did appreciate that. They said the reason he wanted to be an SID was because he saw that they got to be around the team and they got free gum. And so when he was a senior in high school, he went to the athletic department at Fairleigh Dickinson and said, I'm coming here next year. Can I be a student sports information director? And they let him. Dude is suited and booted down on the sideline. He's the best dressed SID I've seen in quite a while. So he take the job very seriously. It's got to be nice. I always get worried about pipelines for certain things like officiating. Are there going to be enough young people that want to do this pretty thankless job? SIDs, there's a lot of work that goes into that. And the good ones that do it, it takes a lot of time. So I am glad to see that there's a young pipeline of sports information directors that's getting fostered at Farley Dickinson right now. Outside of that, Mike, you already mentioned it in this podcast. They're my favorite team, Farley Dickinson, you know, the FDU. No longer with this, but the shortest team in D1. Yeah, like, which and, which and average out averaging out is six three. Like how how do you not root for that? They said the tallest player on their team was six six. Uh, by the way, their SID is Jordan Sarnoff, so wanted to give him the credit yes, that he deserved. But yes, uh, sad to see them go. This tiny team that beat the team in Purdue that had Zach Eady, who's the seven plus foot giant that they just took down, was incredible. I have to say though, I now have a soft spot in my heart for Florida Atlantic because FAU also got their got first you. NCAA tournament win ever. This is just their second tournament win in school history, and at the end of the game, they pissed off all the old people um fairly dickinson was down enough to where they weren't going to foul anymore they were going to let yeah. fau dribble out the clock and one of their players went up and went for a windmill dunk and his only crime is that he missed it at the buzzer he got booed by everybody in the arena the announces all announcers all started the pearl clutching i think his coach had to go up to farley dickinson's coach and like apologize after the game yeah. It remains the most infuriating thing about sports to me. When a young man tries to give us a cool windmill 360 dunk at the end of the game and we somehow turn him into the bad guy for it, nobody got hurt. Nobody died out there on the court because he did this. He didn't do it over somebody. There is nothing wrong with this. And I don't, I hate when people make a big deal out of this. I, th- I think it's disrespectful. I Who think it's gives fairly. gives a shit? Uh, clearly, Fairly Dickinson 
uh, I gave a shit. And the announcers and everyone in the stands, there was like, okay, come on. And also, if you're going to do it, you got to finish the dunk. Like, get the hell out of here if, you, if you're if you going to go that nuts. Like, this isn't a dunk contest. We don't even have patience for missed dunks and dunk contests, let alone the end of a game. That's the only legitimate criticism. If you want to criticize this young man, criticize him for missing the dunk. But I heard some guy in my mentions was like, well, you guys would have been pissed if Alabama kept running up the score when you guys played in the title. First off, they did. They just did it during the game. But second off, I've been on the wrong end. We've been on the wrong end of plenty of games. And you know what I never once cared about as a player? If the other team kept throwing at the end of the game or if the other team kept blitzing at the end of the game when it was out of hand, it's our job to stop them. And if we don't stop them, that's on us. If they want to get work in or if they want to go out there and just stunt for the sake of stunting, then by all means, go do it. I have never cared. It is about us. It is not about them. Yeah, we were on the other side of Toby Gerhardt's Heisman campaign. So I think uh, if anyone knows what running the score up may look like. Right. Like football. I've, I've never like I can understand for coaches because it's wrapped up in their identity. They don't get to go out there and dictate the pace of a lot. And so it's seen as the sign of respect between the two of them and they don't have control after a certain point. So it's supposed to be, hey, right. I'm the coach that's saying we're going to call off the dogs. You agree to do the same and a player takes it into his own hands. So it's really, I think, just an ego pissing match between coaches more than it is something that should be some universal sign of disrespect because I will always go back to our former teammate Torian Smith linebacker out of mm. Rome Georgia 2008 against Navy gets a scoop and score off a blocked punt and takes it back for a touchdown and I will never forget this quote as long as I live Torian was asked about the game did you ever think about acting like you'd been there before and Torian said people say act like you've been bef- there before I always say I act like I'm never going back and for FAU you might mm. not be back this is the first you know? time you've been there. So you might as well get your money's worth out of the experience. So stop hating on kids for having fun in big time moments. The kid, one of their other uh, players cussed in the post game interview. I love this team. They are truly just out here flying by the seat of their pants right now. Hey, hoo hoo. I don't know if that's the Owls chant, but I'm definitely pulling for the Owls moving forward. I, but the other funniest thing from the tournament was the soundbite of Charles Barkley on the halftime set. Yes. Where he insisted that back when he first got into the NBA, he was, you know, giving love to the equipment managers and all these people that are a part of everything that goes into March Madness. And he started going off on this tangent about how when he got into the NBA, it was back in the days where they still used to travel commercial. And because of that, there was this quick turnaround and he said they had to wash their own jerseys. And so Charles said that he would shower in his jersey after the game in an effort to expedite the cleaning process. And you had an apoplectic Kenny the Jet Smith, who was only outdone by Clark Kellogg, who's screaming, let him finish, Kenny, will be what it should be in the one shining moment recap of Mark's Madness. Clark Kellogg just yelling, let him finish, Kenny. Do you believe him? No. Well, I mean, I don't know, Mike. You know what? I shouldn't say no. Like, there's no reason for Charles to lie about this. 
Like this is uh, one of those things that's like Dan Orlovsky level of strange when it comes to personal hygiene that I don't true. feel like you'd put it out there for fun. And Lord knows Charles doesn't do anything like that for clicks. He's stream of consciousness. He's mid consciousness. He can barely pronounce half these players names right. He doesn't do it for clicks, Mike, but he does do it for laughs. And that's the one thing that like hems me up with him. He has a comedian hat on especially when it comes to just being wrong or saying whatever the hell comes to his mind. He may have misremembered it, but I have a feeling it happened once and he took it as like, we washed our jerseys every back-to-back. Well, it also, as they pointed out, was you can wash your jersey without having to do it wearing it in the shower. Like, this is also an indictment of Chuck's process, not just using a washing machine that I'm sure he had. I, I like I like where his head was at though. I like where his head was at. And yes, I th- I think Charles Barkley, when Charles Barkley started covering the March Madness, boy boy boy, did CBS know what they were doing? Oh hell yeah! It's moments like this will live till the end of the tournament. I will say, I did at one when I was playing in that like side league the FXFL in fall of 2014 I played for this team called the Brooklyn Bolts in this absolute dog shit league and we lived in a Holiday Inn Express in Staten Island for two and a half months while we played and didn't get paid for the last few weeks but we had to wash our stuff after practice during training camp like I remember having we did training camp in Florida where it was humid as you know humid as all get off and I had to go down to the front desk at the hotel and ask them for the hotel detergent pack to wash my jersey and such after practices. So that's where you learn how much you really love the stuff. And clearly, Charles loved it enough to shower in his jersey, which, I mean, hell, we had teammates in college that wouldn't shower at the facility early on, that would go back to their dorm rooms and not shower until they got there. Yes, yes, for all kinds of reasons, Mike, but no one ever showered with their jersey on, even for a bit. So, like, that, that's where that's where it gets hairy. That's where it gets hairy for me. Well, in general, like not because he said you would shower when you got back to your room, like not showering at the arena or in the locker room or at your practice facility after practice. Always a red flag for me. Always a red flag. Yeah. Well, I I have to go back to when you played in that league, Mike, because I was just talking to Michelle. We had an anniversary last weekend. So we were talking about old times and stuff. And I was like, do you remember when? I was working in New York City, and I would tell my friends that we were go- oh, they're all going out for comedy and stuff. And I was like, I got to get back to my studio apartment, so I, I got to report a podcast with my friend Mike. <laughs> Remember, we were scheduling time to, to do a Notre Dame podcast. Yes, we no were, Brandon. To. Yes, we were. I mean, we were like scripting that thing out. It was. It has to be oh, heinous man. if we were to go back and pull those episodes at this point. <laughs> Um. So yeah, shout out to that podcast and whatever the hell. You know what? God bless the broken road that led us straight to right here and uh, the connective tissue it gave us with Sir Charles Barkley. Uh, so <laughs> we'll have plenty more great tournament uh, reaction stuff coming up here as we get along. We'll get going with the Sweet 16. As we sit here right now, we're recording late. So looking at who's already set. Uh, at this point in the Sweet 16, Houston's going to be play- facing Miami, Xavier versus Texas, Arkansas and UConn, UCLA waiting for the winner of Gonzaga TCU, and then Kansas State, Michigan State, which, by the way, shout out to Kansas State for being the official school of the short king. 
across sports, the dominance of short players there, unparalleled. Uh, Marquise Noel, take a bow. This guy has been electric. No look passes (sighs) everywhere against Kentucky. He was a wizard with the ball in his hands. Dropped 27 on their heads. I saw ESPN Stats and Info said he scored or assisted on 62% of K-State's points in the tournament so far, which since 2010, only John Morant has done more in the NCAA tournament. He is playing that level of basketball right now as a guy who tops out at 5'8". And coming up off a football season and really off a career at Kansas State where Deuce Vaughn was a 5'5 All-American running back who routinely gave dudes buckets on the football field, they are short King U. I feel like that's pretty unquestioned right now. I I don't know, Mike. His weapons. uh, Was it Tomlin, their center? Uh, he he finished the night with twelve and six. He had that uh, splash alley oop dunk at, at the end of halftime. He's six ten. I, I say I mentioned Keontae Johnson before. He's he's like six five six six. If if you're that short with your weapons, it's like you know no one gives. I guess everyone gives Isaiah Thomas credit for what he did with the bad boys, but. You got giants like Bill and Beer around and John Sally. But like, when you're the best player on the team full of big people and you're the little okay. guy, it's always what we've said. When you see a little guy in a group full of big guys, that's the one to watch out for because think of what he's had to do to get to that point, especially in a sport like basketball. So <laughs> shouts out to him. Uh, they're going to face Michigan State. Tennessee is going to take on FAU uh, and the Cussin Duncan Bandits. And Princeton continues to go on. <laughs> Princeton Creighton in the Sweet 16, the 15 seed. Princeton Tigers uh, and then San Diego State, Alabama. San Diego State, like we mentioned, the first Mountain West team to get a win of the tournament since 2017. And now they just can't stop winning. They're another team. Bigger, faster, stronger. They went out there and unfortunately put the kibosh on the whole Furman situation pretty quickly. So, of of your final four, who's still alive? Oh, buddy, it is uh, it is not sweet out here for your boy. So, as of right now, let me pull this up. Because we have to do some interesting math. So, as we told you guys, the loser between yes. me and Brandon has to redo Pro Day at Notre Dame. The problem is, we had our bracket challenge, which we appreciate everyone hopping in with us in the NCAA Bracket Challenge app. Mike. And we had 453 people sign up. Mark, you know who didn't sign up? Brandon Newman, who works on this podcast. Brandon decided to wait until after the thing had already locked and only because I knew he wasn't watching the games the first day because he was working on other podcast business. He went and filled out a paper bracket that we now have to score by hand so we can know where the two of us sit at this point in the tournament. So Brandon, I will say right now of my final four, I only have Texas and Alabama left from my final four. Kansas and Marquette were both my other two teams. Kansas my eventual national champion. So I am hurt right now mm. yes yes you are and in that regard i'm still alive uh my final four was arizona kentucky texas and ucla i don't know if you're counting but two of those still exist in ucla and texas uh really hoping that the longhorns hang on but obviously i you know i don't want to do the pro day i just I, I ran some hills with my son earlier uh this week and it was hurting afterwards and i thought about pro day and i was like you know what 
I either need UCLA to win or I need to start working out. Yeah, you see, you've got your national champion alive still, so that really gives you a leg up in this situation. And so yes. once we're able to actually tabulate the scores, because again, Brandon couldn't p- type it into the computer so that the computer <laughs> would do this math for us, then we will be able to let you guys know where we stand on that. As far as the leaders in our tournament pool of the people that were kind enough to sign up for all this, uh, let me give a quick look at the top of the leaderboard right here. Um, so far, we have got in first place, Houston bracket number two. I don't know whose bracket that actually is. It's just the name of their bracket. Followed by yeah. Go John Show. Followed by Crystal Flute. Followed by Have a Day. Followed by Mad Madame Mim. And then Mad Kiss has two brackets that are in the top five or six uh, here. So Damn. all of the people in the top, I'd say, 10 of ours have Houston winning with the exception of Have a Day, who's got Alabama as their national champion. So lots to keep tabs on there still at Gojo Show on Twitter if you want are one of the people that we've named there and want an identity attached to whatever your bracket's name was. Mike, I know you don't live in Connecticut anymore, but look out for UConn. I know. Yeah, listen, getting ready to square off with Arkansas now. Going to get real scrappy. Pigs and dogs. Got to love it. <laughs> um, Brandon, you know what else we've got to love from over the weekend? Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice-cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there and you get to that little clubhouse there and they've always got the candy bar options. And I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. More money coming out in the NFL. And this one feels especially relevant just because of the fact that this player, like Lamar Jackson was also representing himself. Laramie Tunsil, the left tackle for the Texans, signed an extension to stay with that team. A three-year, $75 million deal that includes a $30 million signing bonus, $50 million fully guaranteed, and $60 million in total guarantees. So I'm sure other bonuses that would have to kick in later in that. Laramie Tunsil, this is now the second time that he's reset the tackle market here. Trent Williams... Um, has made $23 million a per season since his extension in 2021, where he signed a six-year $138 million deal, but that only had $55 million fully guaranteed for that contract. So 
it's the ga- clever games that always get played with how you're the record-setting contract or how you're the market-setting contract. But Laramie Tunsil's made it clear he signed a three-year deal the last time and now is going to sign a three-year deal again this time for even more money and put himself in a position to be a free agent when he's 31, as he is currently 28 years old right now. So first off, Congratulations. Large excellence himself in the flesh. That man has come a yes. long way from a draft night fiasco with a gas with a gas mask bong to being one of the best left tackles in pro football. Do we was it his stepfather who leaked that video? Is that I think confirmed? so, yeah. There was there was it was it was messy. <sighs> okay, here's the thing. Um Deshaun Watson is unfortunately the staple the marker the what is we what was the term we look for set the market for quarterbacks precedent thank you but we all agree that the cleveland browns made a pretty questionable odd decision giving him all that guaranteed money and i've said that i don't like the fact that lamar jackson and the baltimore ravens are held hostage by a dumb decision by a franchise that usually makes dumb decisions okay Larry Tunsil, Tunsil, obviously great, worth the money, X, Y, and Z, but is he worth this much money? Yes. Okay. I would say not only through quality of play where he's consistently been one of the best left tackles in football, one of the best tackles, period, in football, but also where you are as a franchise, you are getting ready to welcome in a rookie as your as your quarterback at the top of this year's draft or near the top of this mm. year's draft. And I'm sure you would like to secure that player's safety going forward. And a really good way to do that is to start off by keeping your incredibly talented left tackle that allowed Miami to buy all of these fun new weapons they had because he was worth so much in that trade that brought him over here. So I think a smart decision on a lot of fronts there. The thing that does become complicated is you mentioned Lamar Jackson point of this because while Deshaun Watson set the market for quarterbacks, he did that with an agent. Lamar Jack or, or Deshaun Watson yeah. has representation and Lamar Jackson does not. Laramie Tunsil, also in that same boat does not have representation, negotiated this deal himself. And so people point back again to this, Bobby Wagner, Richard Sherman, some of the other guys that have managed to negotiate deals without representation as the conversation around Lamar, the last time we did a lot of that stuff last week, kind of started to go that way. Like, hey, maybe had he hurt himself and hurt his chances by not having an agent. And I would still say, well, this is a reminder, it is possible. And when you're in the upper crust of your position and you're young, it's pretty easy to walk into the room and demand what you want, especially if you want to do it on the short term. Because then for the Mm -hmm. organization, they're not thinking about a long-term commitment. If you're the player and you're confident enough in not only your abilities, but also you're comfortable enough with whatever you've managed to secure with the risk of injury also built into there. Because like, take Laramie Tunsil. Laramie Tunsil in this situation is betting on himself, saying, hey, in three more years, I'll be able to cash in big again. He believes Mm -hmm. that his skills will not degrade at all. He believes that he will hopefully be able to stay healthy through this process and that when he gets back in this situation, a guy who's just over 30 playing that position in football is going to be in a good situation. Not everybody is built 
to think that way. Some guys who maybe have had injuries a little more part of their career earlier on might like the security of what five or six years feels like. The protection of being under contract for a little while longer in case the thing that can happen in the most violent sport in North America happens. And so I want to be clear that what he's doing here is for a very limited set of people in this league where, remember, guarantees and contracts are not about anything mandated by a CBA. They're about risk assessment from organizations and for Laramie Tunsil the risk in letting a player like him walk out the door versus the risk of paying him is incomparable that's a guy you want on the team that's a position that you need to have secured especially with the place that they're at the difference still is even with that we're talking about 50 million dollars fully guaranteed which is a lot different relative to your salary cap than a quarterback at now We're talking in the hundreds of millions of dollars guaranteed for these quarterback deals. We're talking, you know, Kyler Murray, 189 million guaranteed. What we've seen with Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford in the 120, 130 million dollar a year range. Obviously, Deshaun Watson's at 230. So it's a significantly bigger portion of your salary cap that even if you apply the logic that, all right, young player, Lamar Jackson, 26, at an elite position, quarterback, who has been one of the best in the league has an MVP as recently as 2019 and has shouldered the load in one of the most unique offenses in the NFL, it still becomes more complicated because the weight and the gravity around that position is just different than everything else. And for ownership, it also has a different gravity in the way that they address it and what it's going to mean for them going forward. I love that he did the deal without an agent. And I love that Lamar Jackson is sticking his heels in the ground, insisting that he does his deal without an agent, regardless of what everyone's saying to him. But can we talk about this shadow agent that's out here helping these non-agent deals go through? Oh, um, yeah. Let me pull up his name again because it's a... This came up during the Roquan Smith proceedings. Um back when he was getting franchise tagged by the Chicago Bears and then demanded a trade and there was all these very public back and forths about what his demands were and how he felt like the organization was treating him. And then there were all these things about a man named St. Omni is the guy's name. Uh, who, if you watch the Rappaport tweet that broke this, it said, per St. Omni, the Texans are signing Lamar uh, or Laramie Tunsil to this deal. And this was a guy that after the dealings with the Bears, the NFL sent out a notice basically saying, this guy's not a registered agent. He's not, the NFLPA has a directory full of guys who are registered agents. He's listed as like a financial advisor for athletes and entertainers, but was reportedly reaching out to teams on behalf of um, on behalf of Roquan, Roquan. Smith and talking yeah. about that and basically the NFL asked teams not to deal with him and so now his name has once again come up in here Laramie Tunsil even said when I think it was Mike Florio at Pro Football Talk sort of talked about what a middle finger this was to the NFL that his involvement was in there and Laramie Tunsil quote tweeted and said he was with me every step of the way 
quote, per St. Omni is a real thing. So he's basically saying, yeah, this guy was there helping me. And so these guys all, you know, we've heard every step of the way with Lamar Jackson. He's had the NFLPA as sort of consulting with him through this Mm -hmm. process. That's one of the things that they do because it's in the best interest of the entire body of NFL players for Lamar Jackson and every player to go out and maximize what they can get when they're on the market. Players in the PA all want to see those prices keep going up because that's the rising tide lifts all ships kind of theory. Yeah, but this guy's got to be getting a cut. Obviously, not the way the agents get cuts, but he's his his presence must be valuable when getting contracts done. Oh, I'm I'm sure. Like to have someone who works, someone it's the same way that some of these guys who have a lawyer who works in their family will have that person. Mm. I think that was like Andrew Luck when he was coming out. I believe had like his uncle or someone looking in on that, and guys will just use a lawyer that they know to basically help them look over the contract language, help them go over some of the specifics, as opposed to the actual negotiation. So we don't know what role he really had in all this, other than right. clearly, according to Laramie Tunsil, he had one. But either way. It's still, I don't think, it shines a light on the fact that for Lamar Jackson, we all thought it would go like this. And the reason we have so many questions about NFL ownership and what's going on and how this might smell is because he represents that same idea of young player in a premium position who has accomplished a lot already in his time in the league. We understand, though, quarterback's a little bit of a different step up in all this. So even as people bring out Richard Sherman and Bobby and Laramie as examples of this, there's still levels to this once you get to quarterback that doesn't exactly in my mind make it comparable in the way that we talk about it so yeah it's impossible i mean lamar jackson is as much of an anomaly as he's being treated right now well i think i think he's being treated as something that the league is afraid of becoming a trend and whether that's being done again we cannot say anything about it being done collectively but if it's being done subconsciously if this is a reaction to the Deshaun Watson deal we're still waiting to find out and I saw Lamar tweeting a bunch of stuff about how he's going to use his YouTube channel to release some interviews and some content and some sit downs with himself and so maybe we will hear more of Lamar's side of this maybe as we've seen the Ravens clearly leaking details out in the court of public opinion maybe Lamar Jackson like he did at the end of the season will start to grab a hold of his own narrative a little bit Ooh, that's scary can't wait it's exciting good for all of us working in the content business but brandon speaking of the content business the nba playoffs are heating up and so is the action on DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba with same game parlays live betting odds boosts and so much more don't miss out as the nba postseason winds down and now that the boston celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the miami heat Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. 
In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It is Monday coming off the weekend, which means we got some roses to give out, bachelor and bachelorette style, for the people that we loved putting in work over the weekend. Uh, we each get two here every Monday. And so, Brandon, I want to start, since we talked already about so much March Madness and kind of put the bow on this, my first rose goes to my birth state, state of New Jersey. Ooh. Yes. Producing... Three different double-digit seed upsets in the last two years. Last seed, last year's twenty or twenty twenty-two fifteen seed St. Peter's that un- upset Kentucky. Sorry, Shots and then this the year fifteen seed Princeton who upset Arizona and sixteen seed Farley Dickinson who upset Purdue. All very very close together. I saw New Jersey's very own Nicole Arbach showing how quickly you could get to all of these tournament winner schools in a quick drive along Jersey. But uh, yeah, shout out to them for doing the damn thing, man. Very cool. Made this tournament exciting and this is one of the spots where I can pick and choose when I tell people that I was actually born in New Jersey. So I'll raise my hand and ride the wave. There you go. Uh, for all the tri-state people. Oh, you're from Jersey? What exit? That's a that's a thing amongst Jersey people. Actually, even where you're from, there it's not off that that highway, the Turnpike. So can't actually do that for you when the Voorhees. But yes, shout out to New Jersey, where Carter Kanai Newman, my son, firstborn, was born. Uh, shout out to Morristown. But I'll give my I'll go to my next rose, Mike. Since you're all nostalgic, my rose goes to Keenan and Kale. Ooh, Keenan and Kale, Keenan Thompson and Kale Mitchell uh, of. All that in Keenan and Kale fame. I don't know if you saw, but they hosted, not hosted, they were a guest on Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, not Jimmy Kimmel, sorry. I'm going to stop messing this up. Jimmy Fallon. The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. One of those white NBC. late night hosts. <laughs> well, you know, when it comes to the, the networks, it makes a difference. But yes, the NBC late night show, Jimmy Fallon, uh, where they announced that Good Burger 2 is coming out, Mike. A, a, a staple, a cult classic in our upbringing. Um, I'm very excited to see both Kel and Keenan back on stage again. There was a long time where like Kel was the, the nasty recipient of the did he die uh, thing yeah. long, like for a very, very long time. Meanwhile, Keenan Thompson is the longest tenured cast member of SNL. Uh, but for them to get back together uh, on, st- on camera for a movie that should have been a sequel a very, very long time ago. I'm very excited, Mike, and I want to give my roses to, to Keenan and Kale. Well, yeah. I guess my one rose. So Good Burger came out in 1997, so a 26-year drought in between movies. Which we are in the right spot. Like we've seen a lot of these things come back around and sort of get revivals that were popular when right. people our age were kids who now have a bunch of purchasing power and love that nostalgia drug. So great for that. Mike. When I was in LA, they had a Good Burger pop-up shop, and, and Michelle and I went and 
had the good burger, good shake, good fries. All It was just like an experience that was very real. And also, it doesn't matter how long it's been because black don't crack. And they look like they're still around the same age. Yeah, no, that is 100% true. If you try to do this with white people in a similar situation, we would all just look <laughs> at it kind of sad because they'd look so much older in the movie. Like Even Brad Pitt looks older now. That should tell you how different it is on this side. Man, life be life <laughs> Life do be life in. Uh, Brandon, speaking of life, life in my second rose goes to Purdue wrestler Matt Ramos, who Ooh. completed what a lot of people are calling one of the biggest upsets in NCAA wrestling history. So he wrestles in the 125-pound weight division at the NCAA championships, and on Friday night upset Iowa legend Spencer Lee, who was going after his fourth straight national title in the semifinal round going into the weekend. Uh, Now, Ramos had come off a couple of really tight matches just to even get to this point. Got up early, Spencer Lee came back, and he ended up pinning him at the end of this match. And to give you an idea for the uninitiated, because, spoiler alert, I was not a wrestler, but my father and my Uncle Bob, both in addition to playing football at Notre Dame, were also collegiate wrestlers before Title IX uh, and the compliance laws around that ended up having the sport uh, had to go by the wayside. Both of them wrestled at Notre Dame. My dad, I think still to this day, if you really put a gun to his head, loves wrestling as much or more than he loved football. It is one of his great wow. passions in life. And he was always one that's quick to tell me. Spencer Lee, who ended up finishing sixth in this tournament, I think he medically retired after this point. He's been dealing with a bunch of injuries. Last year, he won the national championship on two torn ACLs and has really been dealing with knee injuries since high school. He finished his career a three-time national champion, a four-time All-American, a two-time winner of the Hodge Trophy, a three-time Big Ten Wrestler of the Year, and a 98-6 and overall career record. So he is a dominant force, and at Iowa, a school that's renowned for this, is going to go down as one of the best, if not the best, re- wrestlers in that school's history. So monumental upset. Shout out to Purdue, to Matt Ramos, who after the match said, he's like, I was telling people in interviews before, I believed I could do this. I wanted to speak it into existence, and that confidence clearly translated over into the mat so he got his uh one shining moment Ooh, i like that like what you did there mike but uh unfortunately for spencer lee and his mother's glasses uh huge upset in a in a viral moment um which is just you don't you don't want to see the family who's really in turmoil become memeable you want to you want that to be like kind of honed in on the athlete but cameraman's gonna do what the cameraman does no the best cameramans in the world are always gonna find that spot i saw they were doing it for um another team the point guard for marquette they were joking that you can never find the dad in the arena and by the third quarter or the second half excuse me they had tracked him down like in the back of a boot box somewhere trying to like lurk (laughs) around in the back so the good camera guys are always going to find it that one cheerleader who was crying is all over tiktok getting put on blast for the lip quiver that she had they're those cameramen along with the people that do the topic bars for first take some of the most underpaid people in sports they absolutely make the broadcast sing you know, in, in the NCAA uh, televised events, those cam- that camera crew in every in every arena. I can't wait to see what they do at Madison Square Gardens. Oh, it's going to be truly glorious. So hopefully, yes. we'll have more uh, more interesting moments like the uh, the band director from Dayton's jet, like glow in the dark jacket too, that made an appearance. Yeah. All these uniquely college nice. things finding their way yes. into the broadcast. Oh, okay, Mike. 
my second rose of the weekend. Um, last week, Friday, obviously, on New Music Friday, our boy T-Pain, mm. a white whale for this podcast, Goddamn puts right. out another album. This one called On Top of the Covers. A man who's known for getting really down and dirty and freaky is on top of the covers. And a double a double entendre uh, t- about him, or showcasing him, singing without audio tune, like his actual voice, singing a bunch of covers, Mike. Uh, there's eight songs on, on this track list. The first is A Change Gonna Come From Sam Cooke. Mm. So it's like, oh, okay, this is this is different. Stay with me from Sam Smith. Ooh, this is nice. Like this is a little, but Mike, I feel like he was going a little bit too genre bendy. Uh, Don't stop believing. I thought was nice, but when you get to War Pigs and Tennessee Whiskey near the end, you're like, oh, he's really, really trying to like push the narrative that he can do anything. And the issue is with it, Mike. And I, I definitely suggest everyone go listen. You, you, you can't have. These historical songs and tracks, they're not just the the musicians singing, it's the musicians playing the instruments. And and it just sounds a little bit too digital and not a not like not oh. like enough like really just real you disagree? See, that's what I loved about this. All of these covers and to me, Tennessee Whiskey is exactly what this is about because the perfect thing that I can say about T-Pain and certain artists like him is you always know when it's a T-Pain song. It doesn't mm. sound like anybody okay. else. It's not possible. And part of that is it's going to sound auto tuny It's going to have all of this electronic sound to it. It sounded to right. me like 2004 to 2009 when T-Pain was dominating my life with all the songs that he put out there. And so it was part nostalgia love for all that. But he added verses to Tennessee Whiskey. He did some really fun mm. stuff. And it's just general, an incredibly talented singer. You actually named the two that I thought were two of the best in Tennessee Whiskey and War Pit. I thought he really? fucking snapped on War Pigs. Yes, he leaned into that shit. I, I mean, I, I like, like I said, I like his singing, and I like the fact that he even attempted it at all. But like, you gotta get the instrumentation right now. I, I do want to talk about the cover, and the main reason why he got a rose from me is because in the cover, it's a, uh, a, a I want to say an oil painting, a <laughs> of him in front of a horizon during a sunset and he has a rose in his mouth smiling um, with a, a robe on and a, and a bottle of what I imagine is crystal on ice um, sitting there. It, it looks very Bob Ross meets T-Pain meets like as like tongue in cheek as T-Pain has become in his like actual personality, nappy boy radio and all the things he does in podcast wise. So I, I just thought it was it was a good way to pay homage to, you know, how we came up. I thought it was phenomenal, man. I had a really good time with this one. I was shouting at whoever would listen to it. I mean, sharing the night together, Dr. Hood, uh, Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show was awesome. I thought A Change Is Gonna Come was great. He did That's Life by Frank Sinatra. Yeah. It just... I just... I I, I wanted to hear him in, in... Is it weird? Like I would like to see him do... Some like Luther Vandross or like, you know, Tina Turner. Like, I want to see him getting like deeper into his soul bag. Obviously, there's all kinds of soul that was in those track in that track list, but like, you know. Oh, he, 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 so I saw an interview where whether he was joking or not, he said, I wanted to do a bunch of songs by white artists and take those songs and make them my own. 
And hey, hey, how disrespectful to Sam Cook, but okay, let's do it. Yeah, I say that's what I mean. Like, not <laughs> no, I know he probably was serious. He was serious about it, but like you know, I he, I'll say this: the Sam Cook. Uh, it, it was the intro, and it definitely set the tone for like, okay, this is going to be very different than what we're used to from T Pain. And I love that because again, while it is also different, it is still very much the same. You are never going to hear a T Pain song and go, "Who's singing that?" You're always going to know, and that much I appreciate from him. Uh, Brandon, you know what else I appreciate is the people that were kind enough to vote on our polls that we did over the weekend. Let's give a quick update to what was the second round, or excuse me, the first round, the round of 32 in our Some Shining yes. Moments bracket, a collection of 32 of the biggest moments from the last year, March to March, moments in sports, pop culture, movies, you name it. We tried to seed it, rank it, and put them up against each other in a tournament-style setting. We are now two uh, two regions of the bracket into our tournament here. The first one was the sports bracket. This one we did over the weekend was the music side of the bracket. And my oh my, in keeping with this year's tournament, chaos and upsets continued to ensue. The results were as follows. In the round of 32, we had the one one versus eight seed matchup, Taylor Swift's Midnight Saga versus the Wednesday Adams dance scene. The eight one upset, Wednesday Adams, 50.9% of the vote, probably our closest one yet ends up moving on to the next round. A massive update as we get started with Taylor Swift's uh, Eras Tour. Can you believe that TikTok is stronger than Taylor? That's the one thing that I'm starting to notice about this that we put together is Corn Kid also ended up being an upset uh, in this round. In the round of 32, the two seed was Beyonce's Renaissance, one of the most beloved artists of our time with one of the most active fan bases. And part of this is it's coming from our show account. It's being retweeted by me. I have to acknowledge where my timeline might lean, but we're also right. going to the internet. And so of course, internet things like Wednesday Adams and corn kid probably going to have a leg up because we're taking this fight. It's like when a team manages to slow down and muck up a game. Like we've talked about in the tournament here, once you get in the mud, certain people are going to have the advantage. Yes, Mike. Uh, I agree, but when Corn Kid beat Beyonce, I was a little bit perturbed. But then when I saw that Wednesday and and her dance sequence beat Taylor Swift, it made me feel a little bit better. I was surprised. The margin of victory for Corn Kid, 62.5% versus just 30 and 7.5% for Beyonce. The 4-5 matchup, uh, the Taylor Hawkins tribute uh, where his son, Oliver Shane, played the drums of the Foo Fighters, did, uh, did their Goes My Hero with them after the passing of his father beat the dog shit out of Harry's house and deservedly so 78.4% of the vote went to that tribute and then the last winner three seed Rihanna Super Bowl halftime show takes down the lovable underdog Lizzo and the James Madison crystal flute 60 and a half percent to 39 and a half so they'll go on to the next round we'll have Wednesday Adams against Rihanna we will have uh Oliver Shane Hawkins going up against Corn Kid in that the east region we also now have to set up what we've got coming up for today's vote. So we've got the last two regions of the first round for us will be today, Monday, as the release of this podcast, and tomorrow on Tuesday. And that will be as follows. We are going to go to the South region, which ironically enough is at the top right of the bracket as it's listed on the paper, which feels antithetical, but I don't know shit Wrong. about shit. Um, this one, film... Television, movies, 
etc. Mm-hmm. This one probably, this honestly has the face that launched a thousand ships or the moment that launched this entire tournament. The number one seed, the slap. Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars uh, Oscars from last year. One of the top five Twitter moments of my lifetime, of our lifetime, since Twitter's only been around as long as we've been around. Mike, stop. What? I'm not going to let you live online for this one. It was a top five Twitter moment, but it was a top five moment in the history of television. Like, I, I want to say that because, like, people died on television and got covered and stuff like that. But, like, this... This was this was it. Oh, I understand. You're right. I I guess I only say that internet hedging is because we've seen one seeds toppled by much more internet based events, and this one true, I think true. has the proper amount of cloud in this arena to be able to mm. hold its own because it's going okay. up against the number eight seed Kanye West controversy of his entire year and the. <sighs> loss and devolving of a figure that for both of us musically was very central to our life and was a big part of what we listened to coming up was a big part of us bonding together and watching what he's become watching uh, you know as the way we've seen his mental health on the decline his relationships on the decline him certainly venture into more and more problematic conversations and topic matter by the day I'm hoping this 1-8 matchup is pretty one-sided so we can be done with that because it makes me sad and it's a little too serious for this bracket so True. that's the 1-8 matchup the 2-7 matchup Top Gun Maverick number 2 seed going up against J-Lo and Ben Affleck getting back together I appreciate the Ben Affleck even getting back together in this relationship with Jennifer Lopez who is incredible beautiful talented all these things still manages to look miserable in so many paparazzi pictures (laughs) Mike this this moment of J-Lo or Benifer getting back together is going to fly over Top Gun like a jet plane. I just want to let you know. Spoiler alert. All right. Well, listen, we've seen plenty of upsets, so I cannot dispute that claim. The three seed is uh, the Stranger Things Kate Bush collaboration running up that hill that ended up having a song from the 80s charting again in 2022. Yes. Pivotal part of so much of that season. So... That another very viral moment. Got a pretty good chance here. The 4-5 matchup's going to be interesting. The Don't Worry Darling drama that we talked about. Harry Styles, Mm. also a part of this. Drama that, quite honestly, seemed more important and juicier than the movie that I never saw. Going up against the 5 seed, Shirley Ralph singing her Emmy acceptance speech. One of the most baller moments of all time at least in that sort of setting, the gall to do that, but then to execute and do it well are so admirable and wonderful that I'm really rooting hard for her. Yeah. I mean, yes, I'm rooting for her in her existence in her. She's just, she's just on a, on a tear right now. And I love Abbott elementary, but the nastiness and the drama that even spills over to Ted Lasso's doorstep with, the, the drama for uh, don't worry darling yeah I mean that's 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 made for me I know it's got a re- it's got a real chance to make a big run here so at gojo show on Twitter we're gonna attach all those polls polls to the podcast when we put it out today democracy's got to reign we need your guys help to vote on this and to try and see who's going to go on to the next round we will have one more round of voting in the first round coming up on Tuesday and then we'll get this thing going to the sweet 16 but Brandon time to get this thing going home now do you know what time it is? I do, Mike. This, that, and the third. Pay a little homage. 
Everybody out there, go run and tell your homeboys and homegirls it's time for Keenan and Kale. They keep it laughing in the afternoon, so don't touch that dial or leave the room. Cause they always send something fun and you don't wanna miss it. It's double K and like two of good greatness. Keenan and Kale, should I say killing Keenan? Cause you gotta watch Keenan, cause Keenan be scheming with a plan or a plot to make it to the top, but they kinda in the middle cause they always getting caught. This ain't the Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew Mysteries. It's just Keenan and Kale in your vicinity, like Siegfried and Royal, Abbott and Costella, Magic and Kareem, or Penn and Teller. Somebody's in trouble. All here goes on this, the this, this, the Man, God's timing is perfect, and so is yours, Brandon. That was incredible work. <laughs> I messed up. I meant, to, I meant to say somebody's in trouble. This dad in the third, but I, now listen, man. That's, that's one it. of those things. Only you noticed that. To me, and I'd imagine the audience that was flawless. And so I am going to ma- ma- treat this as if it was perfect because it was. And if people agree, they can download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo. Leave us a five-star rating. Help us close in on a thousand ratings in the iTunes library so we can continue yes. to defeat the algorithm and let Brandon know what a great job that he did. Uh, Brandon, let's get to this, that, and the third three quick headlines as we get on out of here. Some NFL news and notes. We talked about the big free agency, or excuse me, Frank, free agency re-signing of Laramie Tunsil and the Houston Texans. But we right. had a few moves that were sprinkled in along the day that are impactful in their own way. First, you have the Dallas Cowboys trading for wide receiver Brandon Cooks from the Houston Texans that same day. They got him for a fifth and sixth round pick, a receiver who's put up a 1,000 yards pretty much every team that he's been on, and that's now been quite a few teams as a guy who I was in uh, training camp with the New Orleans Saints, who we've seen star with the Los Angeles Rams, who's played for the Houston Texans, and is now amassing a closet full of issued gear that is going to eventually make Ryan Fitzpatrick blush. (laughs) He gets traded over to the Dallas Cowboys, who absolutely need that kind of playmaker and at the price that they got him seems like a pretty prudent move which is weird that Dallas has been majoring in that so far this offseason feels a little nervous but Cowboys fans actually have to feel pretty good for the most part about what their team's done so far I think the favor my favorite part about this NFL draft class being down with wide receivers is the movement of the current wide receivers Mike because outside of that Adam Thielen going to the Panthers, the Carolina Panthers. One of my favorite moves of this free agency. Really? Like it that much? Yeah. I, I mean, he's he's someone who I guess I don't know how much of a decline he took last year versus the obvious Justin Jefferson is our, our wide receiver number one here. Yeah. So I'm excited to see it. It'll be very interesting. He's always been a receiver that for so long was one of the favorite targets of Kirk Cousins in that offense, even as they had more talented options potentially around him. Obviously, coming up from a small school, local guy up there, made an incredible career for himself and was part of big stuff, but does signify, even if he has diminished a little bit, smart veteran receiver at a place that's going to have a rookie quarterback soon. The kind of guy you probably want in the room around that player, as you've got to, to your point, build in a certain way because of what's available to you in the draft right now so you've gone out and done that solid offensive line that's all come back in front of him um the tight end acquisition we talked about bringing Adam Thielen over we'll see if they're done too because the one thing we've said about David Tepper is he is going to regressively pursue being good now and so I'd imagine for him that includes surrounding whatever quarterback they're going to take at the top of the draft as they've traded for the number one pick with as many weapons as possible so those two signings there CJ Gardner Johnson signed for 
peanuts with the Detroit Lions. Uh, the defensive back who was traded midseason to the Philadelphia Eagles from the New Orleans Saints ends up signing, I want to pull this up and get this right, a one-year $8 million deal with six and a half fully guaranteed. So this is a prove-it contract. He's going to a place that has definite need and help on the back end defensively and coming from a defensive backfield that just re-signed Darius Slay after releasing him the other day, the Philadelphia Eagles. But clearly, somewhere along the way, appeared to misjudge or mistime whatever his market was, and now is going to go over once again and try and show his worth on a one-year deal to see if he can hit this this time next year. Listen, I hope he does it. 25 years old, missed five games last season with a lacerated kidney, so maybe that's the the prove-it of it, and that's max $8 million. It feels just like, based on the playmaking ability that he has, it's so loud. Uh, the Detroit, uh, let's bravo to Detroit Lions front office making like moves that make a lot of sense because that's something that hasn't been, uh, you know, we don't always expect the Lions to make the best moves. Yep, and, and it's good to see them addressing an obvious need and the way they've attacked yes. that this offseason and the signings they've made at this point to bolster that defensive backfield. You spent draft capital on the defensive front last year, and so. It's good to see them. They've had a lot of continuity on offense that we talked about getting Ben Johnson to come back there as the offensive coordinator. And so we get to get excited about the Detroit Lions going into 2023, and that's pretty damn cool. Uh, Brandon, let's get to that. Uh, Speaking of pretty damn cool, watching Caitlin Clark play basketball always pretty damn cool. And we were on the verge of not getting that anymore on Sunday. The two-seed Hawkeyes almost got upset at home and – That place was packed. I mean, that arena, it was Carver-Hawkeye Arena where they play their home games. Sold out for every home game. Sold out, I think, in 53 minutes for the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament that they were hosting at that side. And number 10 Georgia gave them hell all the way right down to the end. But, uh, you know, Caitlin Clark and company, much too much there. And we could see her keep playing basketball, Brandon. Our Notre Dame Fighting Irish made it to the Sweet 16 for now the second time in a yes. row under Neil Ivy. So very excited, very cool moment to see for them. Yes, Mike. Also, I have to shout out uh, Angel Reese from LSU. Uh, what is their, her stat line? I believe she put up uh, 25 points and 15 rebounds um, in their uh, win over uh, Michigan. Uh, yeah, 25 points and 24 rebounds in their in their win over Michigan. Mike, this is a lot of just a lot of balling going on on both sides of the tournament. Yeah, I mean, and big time upsets not limited to just the men's field. Also, eight seed Ole Miss upset number one seed Stanford, fifty four to forty nine. So Stanford, another recent national championship caliber program, now shown the door as a one seed in that tournament. And up until the third quarter. South Florida kept it pretty close with South Carolina and Don Stanley till they just blew the the, uh, the doors <laughs> off of them. But I was I was excited to see it got it was close at some point in time up to halftime. Yeah, no, it was it was good to see that happen for a little bit. That wrecking ball of a program still seems like it's going to be the meat grinder that spits everyone out on the other side. That's where Notre Dame would eventually face. Notre Dame's going to face two-seed Maryland coming up in the Sweet 16. And listen, they're still down. They're two best players in Olivia Miles and Dara Mabry. And so I don't feel great about their prospects going forward necessarily. Scrappy win against Mississippi State in that game. Um, They had their center, who's a transfer player, um, 
Lauren Ebo set an NCAA record for at Notre Dame with, I believe, 18 rebounds against Mississippi State in this game. So was going out there and putting in work on the glass. It made all the difference in that game. And for Coach Ivy now, back-to-back Sweet 16 appearances after uh, you know year one where it was a little bit rocky for it to already be in such a good, healthy place in this program and to be doing this. She's the ACC Coach of the Year on the women's side and to now be doing this down the last stretch of the season in both the ACC tournament and in the NCAA tournament without your two best players. A ringing endorsement not only of that whole team but of Coach Ivy and the job that she's done there. So salute to her. Her son's doing great uh, with the Pistons as well. And also, she hit a very sturdy uh, rock. I don't know what the, the little Uzi Vert. I just want to rock. I don't know what that's, uh, that dance is called. Yeah. What's that dance called? I think it's called that. I just want to rock. Oh, okay. Yeah. She she hit a sturdy in, in, uh, in the locker room after the win. So it's, it's so interesting now. And like Muffet McGraw was always awesome. But like you know, she was she was much more. Actually, I shouldn't even say that. Muffet used to dance in the tournament all the time. But Coach yeah. Ivy's just so cool. And with her and Marcus, they're both yeah. really cool and young, and it's fun. And it's just <laughs> I'm having a great time. They, they're coaching for our alma mater, Mike. It's, it's great. It's so sick. Oh my god! <laughs> and we get a happy Muffet McGraw over on the ACC Network, which with all my friends that work over there, you get to work with the Hall of Famer. And when Notre Dame wins, yes. Muffet's in much better mood. Muffet's much happier, and we love a happy Muffet McGraw. She's one of our favorite people around this podcast. So big wins for everybody involved. Brandon, let's get to the third near and dear to me. This weekend kicked off the Taylor Swift Eras Tour. The first show in Glendale, Arizona, <sighs> went off and got a stellar review. From a recently retired, and I'll say this, hitting a big-time glow-up, future Hall of Fame defensive lineman J.J. Watt gave a full review of the concert that he went to, obviously finished up his career in the Valley of the Sun, so Glendale, place that he's near and dear with, I'm sure he had a good hookup on tickets in there, and put out a video on Twitter reviewing the concert, talking in glowing terms about how she put on a show for three hours and 15 minutes with 44 songs, which is absurd. And I am worried might not be sustainable over the course of a year-long stadium tour with more than 50 shows. But J.J. Watt, ready to be on the right side of history for a guy that for so long I think felt the burden of having to go out there and look like he was trying the hardest and fort minoring his way through football. Now on the other side of retirement, leaning into a role that I think suits him very well as a family man who was going to this concert, supporting his wife, who's a former player, uh, uh, I think... I always mess up the pronunciation of her name. I believe it's Keely Osai. Osai was her maiden name, but played for the Houston Dash for a while in the NWSL, was a baller. And J.J. Watt, Swifty, go off, King. We love it. Mike, you don't see this as a direct correlation of the try-hard nature that is J.J. Watt as an NFL player? Obviously, it's... It, it, <laughs> It equated a Hall of Fame career, but I'm thinking specifically about that hard knock season when he was doing, uh, you know, D-line drills on air uh, whenever everyone was in the locker room. This felt like, it's like if you do something great and your mom comes out and put a video talking about how great it is, like no one's going to be really surprised by that. Like this, this felt very like on brand for J.J. Watt to be like, like make me interested. Give me a critical update of, of the heirs tour. Brandon, I can assure you, unless you're someone who's really like been in it and been around it with Taylor Swift, 
you don't want to walk in as a casual and be the one trying to offer your critical opinion. It's just not the place that you want to live. I think I do. I, I think I do. I don't. I don't. I really don't. I really don't. And I mean, good thing and, no one cares about what I have to say. But if I had the following that J.J. Watt would or does, I'd ruffle some feathers. I, I, I'd, make, like, I'd make. You'd just be stirring shit. I'd make Taylor name. Swift look in the mirror, the same anti-hero mirror, mirror that she looked at in the music video. See, like I, I you'd just be doing just doing it to stir shit the same way you're accusing J.J. Watt of doing it to comply with societal norms. Like I do not trust that this is a genuine thing from you. I just feel like you kind of want to watch the world burn. You was, You've got a little bit of... You thought it was genuine for him? I actually did, yeah, because when you think about the things that J.J. Watt holds dear in his life, right? Hard work and dedication. And so what did he wax poetic about with the show? The fact that she performed for three hours and 15 minutes without a break. He said the most she was off stage not singing was maybe two and a half, three minutes during a long costume change. Everybody else, the band, the backup dancers, all those people got to go off stage for a little bit. And he said everybody got their money's worth there. She went out there and put it on the line. And he said if he holds up for the entire tour and she doesn't miss a show, it's going to be a feat of physical performance the likes of which we have seen in very few occasions i can respect that i can respect that and if anyone knows about physical feats is jj watt who was with the texans for way too long uh but uh i i hope she delivers for you the way she delivered for jj watt just the second best watt brother in the nfl Nathan Hubbard, who is uh, one half of the great podcast, every single album, Taylor Swift, with our friend Nora Princiati from The Ringer, did tweet this out. Just a little context for this. Bruce Springsteen's average set list length, 23 songs. Prince's average set list length, 24 songs. Beyonce's average set list length, 33 songs. 44 songs over this long of a tour. It's big time gamble, but she has already gone out here and earned the respect of many. And now that it's Taylor Swift Concert Week here for your boy, I am very excited to be able to come back and give a very honest and glowing review because it's going to kick ass. I can't wait. Uh, if you thought this podcast kicked ass, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating. Let us know how you felt about it. And check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo of Michael Jr. tab. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank.